0: This podcast is brought to you by Proton Dealership IT, the cybersecurity and IT experts committed to keeping your dealership safe from cyber attacks. To learn more about how to better protect your dealership, go to info.protontechs.com fish That's I-N-F-O dot dot com slash P-H-I-S-H.
1: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash Daily Drive promo to redeem.
2: Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, October 9th, 2023. I'm Jake
1: Neer with Automotive News in Detroit, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show... UAW workers reject the union's tentative agreement with Mack Trucks and are now on strike. Ford is laying off almost 500 more employees due to the UAW's D3 strike and used car retailer Shift Technologies plans to file for bankruptcy and cease operations. Plus, we'll hear a piece of the latest episode of our podcast series, Driving to Zero, the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. Former EPA official, Margot Oge, gives a behind-the-scenes look at the agency's historic first move to regulate greenhouse gas emissions.
3: We went to the president and we said, you know, by May of this year, you can announce that you can have the first greenhouse gas emission standards that ever has happened in, in this country.
1: Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry.
2: Well, it looked like Mack Trucks might avoid a UAW strike while workers walked off the job at the Detroit 3, but it turned out differently for the company. Union workers at Mack Trucks rejected a proposed five year contract deal, and the vote wasn't close 73% voted against the deal. Workers are now on strike as of this morning. The proposed Mack deal had included a 19% pay hike a $3,500 ratification bonus, improved retirement benefits, additional vacation time for some employees, and a reduction in the time needed to get to top pay. After the vote, the UAW sent a strike notice to the company saying many topics remain at issue. They include wage increases, cost of living allowance, job security,
1: and wage progression. Meanwhile, Ford says it is laying off another 495 workers in Ohio and Michigan because of the impact of the ongoing UAW strike against two of its assembly plants. Ford says the new layoffs include 470 at two Ohio engine plants starting today. That brings Ford's total strike-related layoffs to about 1,800 employees. Another 7,900 Ford employees are on strike. The UAW opted not to expand the strike to additional plants on Friday. It cited significant progress at the bargaining tables, particularly with General Motors.
2: That decision was hot off the press when we were recording the last episode of Daily Drive on Friday. We now have more details and reactions from Detroit 3 automakers. Ford has now upped its wage increase offer to 23%, which would bring workers near $40 per hour by 2027, and it has offered to give new hires top pay after three years instead of eight. Both Stellantis and Ford have agreed to reinstate a 2007 cost of living adjustment formula. According to the UAW, General Motors has agreed to put electric vehicle battery production under the terms of the national contract. That's a key priority for the union that has so far tripped up talks with Ford. GM did not confirm the offer, but UAW President Sean Fain said the company acquiesced minutes before he planned to order a strike against its largest moneymaker, the Arlington, Texas, plant that builds full-size SUVs. GM said in a statement Friday that talks were continuing. It said, quote, Our goal remains to reach an agreement that rewards our employees and allows GM to be successful into the future. Ford said in the statement that it remained, quote, open to the possibility of working with the UAW on future battery plants in the U.S., but the automaker also said it must be able to operate them competitively. Stellantis said it continued to have good momentum at the bargaining table, though
1: challenges remain. An online used vehicle retailer, Shift Technologies, says it intends to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. In a news release published Friday, the company said it will wind down operations and eventually close during the Chapter 11 process. The announcement comes after Shift Technologies disclosed earlier this year its board of directors would review strategic alternatives for the business. The company has recorded consistent net losses amid volatile used vehicle market conditions. San Francisco-based Shift Technology said it closed its two remaining physical locations in Oakland, California and Pomona, California. The vehicle listings portion of its website also appeared to be offline as of recording time. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, we'll hear a bit of the newest episode of our podcast series, Driving to Zero. Exploring the role of government regulation in the industry's transition to zero emissions. That's next on Daily Drive.
2: The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough?
1: This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment
4: of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that.
2: Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all electric future, and I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is is like, but but we we don't. Spoiler alert! They came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Email phishing happens every day. Cyber criminals are out to trick your employees and coworkers into handing over valuable information that can compromise your dealership through impersonations, fake giveaways, and urgent emergency requests. All it takes is one click to shut down everything. Phishing is the leading cybersecurity concern for dealerships. Without the proper training and protection, your business is left vulnerable to ever evolving attacks. One day you click an email, and the next thing you know, you get a call from your IT guy. Your email has been compromised. Shut down immediately. Stories of attacks and their consequences come flooding in every day. And all it takes is one click to shut down your dealership. You have enough to worry about as it is. Don't add getting hacked to the list. Let Proton Dealership IT help ensure you are fully protected and learn how at info.protontext.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O dot P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H.
2: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News looking at the auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality. In the latest episode, we take a look at the role of government regulation in helping and or hurting that transition. In the episode titled Promise and Peril, Former EPA Office of Transportation and Air Quality Director Margot Oge talks about her role as the chief architect of greenhouse gas emission standards under the Obama administration and how her work negotiating a deal with major auto manufacturers helped crystallize the U.S. government's first ever action to regulate greenhouse gas emissions under the Clean Air Act. We also hear from Ford's sustainability chief Bob Holycross about the automaker's role in those talks. Here's a bit of that new episode of Driving to Zero. January 26, 2009, in the East Room. Oge is there with the EPA's new administrator, Lisa Jackson, and many other high-ranking officials and activists. They're gathered to watch President Obama sign two executive orders. One instructs the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, to finalize corporate average fuel economy standards, better known as CAFE standards, for 2011, and reevaluate the Bush administration's proposal for new standards for 2012 through 2015. The second directed Margot O'Gay's team to reconsider California's waiver request to set its own greenhouse gas standards for new cars and trucks. Now, before I lose you, yes, even Margot admits those actions probably sound dully bureaucratic. That's how she puts it in her book, Driving the Future. But she says it sets the ball rolling on something really, really significant. She writes, quote, Something as mundane as approving a waiver would actually be the single biggest step ever taken in the United States toward tackling climate change. That's because it provided a unique opening to enact the first greenhouse gas regulations in US history, taking a set of varying state and federal standards and creating a single unified national program for both carbon emissions and fuel economy standards.
3: We basically took the California program and we made some changes to address a number of issues that we had at the federal level Uh, and each came along no, it wasn't that simple <laughs> to, to say it came along, but then we went to the president and we said, you know, by May of this year, you can announce that you can have the first greenhouse gas emission standards that ever has happened in, in this country. So we went beyond what the president was asking us to do. So not only we gave California's waiver, we said we got some more news for you, Mr. President, it's not just Nietzsche, but we can bring everybody together and the White House agreed.
2: The White House may have agreed, but how would the industry react? Without commitments from automakers, some of them might file lawsuits. If they don't stop the rule, a prolonged legal battle would at least delay implementation. So Margot, her team, and other federal officials decided to reach out to automakers to hammer out a deal that everyone could get behind.
3: You know, you need to talk to people. (laughs) Yes, we're regulating you, but you're not bad. You know uh, some of my colleagues at people in other offices look at industry my god you know they're the enemies you're not the enemies so you have to treat people with respect and actually we my team and I went to each car company separately and we sat down and we said you know what can you do what you cannot do how much time you need how much it's gonna cost you and that pay off big time
4: it was a very important juncture and not just our our broader you know carbon neutrality journey but really for the industry in terms of the start of really having more clarity and more you know durability of of policy by you know taking on the task collectively between industry and government to set standards really on a longer time horizon. That's Bob Holy Cross, who's now Ford Motor Company's
2: Chief Sustainability, Environment, and Safety Officer. You might remember him from the
4: last episode. I was here at Ford and working on those standards at the time, and uh, was a close partner with Margot Ogay and, and her team, and it was extremely valuable because. You know, everybody had a need, an immediate need at the time because of some of the uncertainty that had come in overall with where the states were going. There were lawsuits at different stages around whether carbon emissions could be regulated under the Clean Air Act. CAFE regulations on the NHTSA side of of the ledger were, you know, approaching some challenges with just how they were structured. And we really needed to bring everybody together, all the different stakeholders, to make sure we had something everybody could sign up to and commit to so that we would have that level of certainty that that we needed. So everybody came together initially to commit to work together. According
2: to Margot Oge's book, each company had its own unique priorities and hangups in the initial talks. General Motors wanted credits for producing flex fuel ethanol vehicles, Chrysler wanted protections for its profitable Jeep Cherokee and other SUVs, Toyota wanted credits for the Prius, despite the fact that it was already well-established in the marketplace. Also remember, this is 2009. Chrysler has declared bankruptcy, GM is careening in that direction, and Ford is also at risk. Margot believes this had a complicated effect on the talks, but ultimately helped the EPA's effort. Chrysler is in the middle of its sell-off and restructuring. It has the fewest carbon-cutting technologies in the pipeline. So Margot says Chrysler seemed a bit lost and wasn't all that helpful in discussions. But she also writes in Driving the Future that maybe the financial is quote, scared them straight, referring to GM and Ford. The Obama administration was working on sending tens of billions of dollars in financial support for American automakers. That, plus the offer to give automakers one national program to follow, instead of multiple sets of regulations, made auto executives more cooperative than Margot ever remembered when it came to working with regulators.
3: I think for the first set of greenhouse gas standards 2012 to 2016, I think there was a broad agreement among the car manufacturers. They had seen what California was trying to do. They were really happy that we were harmonizing that to them that was the biggest issue. That they did want to deal with three different programs, and I don't blame them. You know, they they just want one national program.
2: Federal officials worked through all of the issues individually with each company and created a national program that would take effect for the 2012 model year. It would last through 2016. It required a fleet-wide average of 35 and a half miles per gallon. Now that's CAFE miles per gallon, little asterisk here. An equivalent EPA sticker would read about 27 miles per gallon in 2016. And not every new vehicle would have to meet that. Trucks would continue to have lower requirements than cars. A looming question remained though, what was going to happen after 2016? To figure that out, Margot and her team went off again to meet with automakers to negotiate a second set of standards for 2017 through 2025. And that would end up being much tougher. By now it's 2010, Margot and her team are asking automakers to look 15 years into the future. What does any car look like 15 years into the future? I mean, think about that from our perspective in 2023. What does a car look like in 2038? What kind of technology is possible by then? And what kinds of vehicles will be most in demand? The first set of standards could mostly be envisioned using the carbon cutting technologies already in the pipeline, but this was different. And that's why Bob Holycross says Ford and other automakers wanted something in the agreement that would give them some wiggle room.
4: There were no guarantees of ultimate success because of how much we depend on what eventually is the market uptake of the different technologies of vehicles.
2: Among other things, automakers wanted some kind of check-in along the way to gauge the market and state of technology. Administration officials accepted that, adding a midterm review to the deal before the second set of standards would kick in. And after months of painstaking, sometimes contentious talks, they reached a deal it would require fleet-wide fuel economy of 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025. That's about 40 real-world miles per gallon. It also included incentives to encourage early adoption of advanced carbon-saving technologies, including electric vehicles. President Obama announces the second program alongside 13 smiling auto CEOs and other senior executives, The only holdouts are Volkswagen and Mercedes, because they say it places an unfair burden on makers of passenger cars, while allowing special flexibility for manufacturers of heavier light trucks. But getting everyone else on board was a huge win for Margot, the EPA, and the Obama White House. But the 2017 to 2025 program was dealt a death blow with the surprise election of President Donald Trump in 2016. Remember that midterm review that was built into the deal? The Obama administration rushed that process through before Trump's inauguration, hoping to crystallize it before leaving office. It didn't work. The program was one of multiple EPA regulations that Trump rolled back early in his term.
3: It was a massive power grab. The EPA's regulators were putting people out of jobs by the hundreds of thousands.
2: Here's Bill Wareham, an EPA assistant administrator under Trump.
3: What
4: we want is to occupy a sweet spot here where we have good, aggressive standards in place but not so aggressive that we create other kinds of problems that, that impose a, a much greater price on society here.
2: Instead of defending the program as it was designed, automakers who initially signed onto the deal ended up supporting some sort of rollback. Bob Holycross says the Obama administration's handling of the
4: midterm check-in brought up concerns for Ford. The way things winded down in the Obama administration and the way the midterm review took place, there were questions in our mind about information that wasn't considered and where the realities were and some elements of how the program was progressing.
3: I felt betrayed.
4: Margot
2: says she thought Ford and other automakers exaggerated, even lied to the Trump administration about what the standards would have meant for their companies but she says that part of the saga serves as an important lesson for current and future regulators.
3: I don't want to see any other midterm review the way we did it (laughs) under President Obama. So we agree, we set the regulation, the regulation goes through the process, industry can sue you, but let's not give another opportunity, another opening to another administration to weaken the standards. That doesn't mean they cannot do it, but it's going to be more challenging.
2: That's a piece of our latest episode of Driving to Zero, the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. Later in the episode, we also hear from GM's former chief economist Elaine Buckberg about how the Inflation Reduction Act has changed the landscape for automakers and their transition to electric vehicles. You can find Driving to Zero wherever you get your podcasts.
1: That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news journalists, Michael Martinez and CJ Moore for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on the UAW strikes, retail and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com.
2: Come back tomorrow for a conversation about the supply squeeze for nickel and cobalt with Cycle CEO, Megan O'Connor. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.